I really believe they're going to come up with a solution to the DACA problem, which has been going on for a long time, and maybe beyond that immigration as a whole. The only permanent solution that can be found must be found by our Congress. Absolutely vital, because this should be a bipartisan bill. This should be a bill of love. Yes. The wall itself is, is a ridiculous concept. But any solution has to include the wall, because without the wall, it all doesn't work. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. My name is Jabal Bowie. I'm Slate's chief political correspondent and your host for today's episode. For all the recent drama in the White House, the Trump administration is actually getting things done. They're just bad things. Earlier this week, the administration moved to end protections for hundreds of thousands of Salvadorans admitted under temporary protected status, a program that allows eligible immigrants to live and work legally in the United States after their home countries have been struck by war or natural disaster. The administration had already ended these protections for Haitian immigrants admitted under TPS, arguing that the temporary nature of the program meant it had to end, regardless of broader impact. These immigrants, around 250,000 people, are well integrated in American society, with homes, jobs, businesses, and most critically, native-born children, who are American citizens. But the administration wants the program to end, and the immigrants to return to their home countries, regardless of potential danger and indifferent to the stress and harm this decision places on families. Because of the constant focus on his offensive outbursts and ugly transgressions, it's tempting to think that the worst of Donald Trump is what we see in public. And there's no doubt that these things are bad, even dangerous, just as there's no doubt that these antics are worth our attention. At the same time, the Trump administration isn't crippled. For all the spectacle, we shouldn't forget that there is a functional administration here, and it is working steadily to advance its agenda. To discuss the administration's recent moves in immigration, we'll speak with Dara Lind, a reporter with Vox.com. But first, we have a few tweets. Well, now that collusion with Russia is proving to be a total hoax, and the only collusion is with Hillary Clinton and the FBI slash Russia, the fake news media mainstream. And this phony new book are hitting out at every new front imaginable. They should try winning an election, said Michael Wolf is a total loser who made up stories in order to sell this really boring and untruthful book. He used sloppy Steve Bannon, who cried when he got fired and begged for his job. Now, Sloppy Steve has been dumped like a dog by almost everybody. Too bad. The fact that sneaky Dianne Feinstein, who on numerous occasions stated that collusion between Trump Russia has not been found, would release testimony in such an underhanded and totally without authorization, is a disgrace. Must have tough primary. The single greatest witch hunt in American history continues. There was no collusion. Everybody, including the Dems, knows there was no collusion. And yet, on and on it goes. Russia and the world is laughing at the stupidity they are witnessing. 
Republicans should finally take control. To talk about immigration policy in the Trump administration and to get a larger picture of immigration policy, we have Dara Lind, a senior reporter with Vox.com. Hi, Dara. Welcome to Trumpcast. Hi, Jamel. Thanks for having me. So I don't think it's a, a peek behind the curtain or anything to say, but just before we started, you were complaining about being out of the loop with what Congress is doing with regards to DACA right now. So for the benefit of our listeners, could you explain your grievance? <laughs> sure. So part of this is, in fairness, I am not a Hill reporter. Uh, I have so much more respect for actual Hill reporters than I did a week ago because it's generally really hard to get Hill staffers to to tell you what they know and to know that they are telling the truth, both that they are like telling you the truth when they say they know things right. and that what they tell you is true um, because things are changing so quickly. And that's certainly the case with this potential immigration deal, which it looks like there really is interest in getting something settled in time for the you know, to vote on a new government spending bill by January 19th. So there are reports out there that like sometimes contradict each other. And then I have to go back to sources and say, wait, this is this is not true, right? And sometimes they respond to me and sometimes they don't. But it looks like we are kind of beginning to see the outlines of what a deal could look like as far as the opinions of what a few senators think can pass both chambers. Right. We're about to find out whether the White House is okay with that um, <laughs> and what it means for the White House, quote unquote, to be okay with that. Uh, and certainly it's possible that one party or the other in Congress could rebel. But that is something that against, I think, what we would have expected 48 hours ago when there was the televised you know, immigration meeting that – didn't have substance to it. It looks like despite that, people are actually working towards a deal, which is unusual in Congress. So what are the elements of this potential deal? Like what is what is being contested? What does the administration want? What do Democrats want? Like what's the what are the moving parts here? So the the center of this and the reason that it has to be that Congress came to the table to negotiate to begin with is that Members of both parties agree that there has there should be something to protect the 690,000 immigrants who are losing or would be at risk of losing their protections from deportation because President Trump is killing the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals or DACA program. So the centerpiece of any deal is either is giving them some sort of full legal status, which they didn't have under DACA because it wasn't something a president could unilaterally grant. It's looking pretty certain that that's going to allow them ultimately to become citizens, uh, that it won't be a kind of like second class status. The question has been, what are Republicans going to insist on in exchange for that on immigration enforcement and restrictions to future legal immigration? And right now, it looks like the trade-offs will involve some amount of money for border security, including some sort of border structure that I can almost guarantee you Donald Trump will call a wall, Chuck Schumer will go to great lengths to insist is not a wall, and everyone else will, you know, right. kind of fall into camps accordingly. Um, some provision that that does something to restrict, quote-unquote, chain migration, and this is still not entirely clear, but could include – making it impossible for parents of people who get legalized under this bill to apply for citizenship via their family, um, and something possibly that would eliminate the diversity visa lottery and reallocate those visas elsewhere. The thing that's kind of gaining traction, which has been interesting over the last couple of days, is a proposal to, instead of giving those visas out to people you know, from outside the U.S., 
giving them to people who are currently in the U.S. on temporary protected status because temporary protected status doesn't allow people to become permanent residents and because the Trump administration has been winding down temporary protected status programs that have been in place for decades. So this would allow those people to not only stay in the U.S. instead of leaving for 17 after 17 or 20 years or whatever, but actually allow them to become green card holders and citizens. Um, what are the obstacles to any of this happening? <clears throat> I mean, yeah, I know. Um, I mean, for one thing, inertia. Um, for another thing, you know, it really isn't clear what the whether the White House is going to be on board with a deal or not because it's not clear who's calling the shots. It's very clear that President Trump will sign any bill that gets put in front of him. Right. It's also extremely clear at this point that Stephen Miller is doing everything he can to make sure a bill never gets in front of the president. And it's not entirely clear whether there are people in the White House who are pushing really hard for this to get done. So, you know, every time that congressional leaders turned to the White House and said, tell us what you need, the White House would send them the exact same five-page document that was a wish list of everything they could possibly want on immigration. It hasn't really been a helpful participant. So, you know, literally as we speak here right now, in theory, this plan is being vetted by the White House and we'll, we may know pretty soon what happens with that. But because Donald Trump doesn't appear to understand the or particularly care about the nuances of immigration policy and because he has a well-known tendency to agree with whoever the last person who talked to him is, I think that's going to be an open question. And it certainly means that he's not out there providing political cover for Republicans who might want to sign a bill but might be worried about backlash from their base for legalizing right. unauthorized immigrants. That There's also kind of an outside concern that – Democrats, including led by the Congressional Black Caucus, are going to be very upset about the loss of the diversity visa lottery because right. that's been an important way for African immigrants to come to the United States. Um, that is something to keep an eye on. But I think the real question right now is, will the lack of leadership that the White House is currently providing end up being a problem? <laughs> I mean, that that seems to be that this goes beyond immigration, but that lack of leadership does seem to be the recurring problem from the administration when it comes to pursuing any kind of policy, right? Like tax reform seemed to only happen because congressional Republicans were gung-ho for doing it. But as soon as there is any hesitation among congressional Republicans, uh, major disputes among congressional Republicans, the absence of interest from the White House, of serious in-depth interest, is uh, like a major obstacle to moving forward. It's definitely – it's especially bad with immigration because everyone knows that's supposed to be his signature issue. And so when he says he wants things like five months ago, no one would have expected that, you know, chain migration would be a an important component because it's most reasonable ex interpretations of what you could mean by ending chain migration are massive changes to the legal immigration system in the future, the kind of thing that you don't want to just pass as part of a last minute deal to keep people from losing work permits two weeks from now. So it's not – the only reason that it's now kind of being considered as part of talks is because President Trump decided that it was a problem right. and started tweeting about it. And, and, and so the, it's kind of – it's the job of, of Congress to kind of work backwards from there and say what can we do to limit family-based immigration to the U.S. in future that will satisfy Trump. We can tell him we like ended chain migration. And, and for the sake of listeners, right. what is chain right. migration? It's, it's, the president – it's <laughs> – it's not clear. Uh, it can be used as a term that's basically synonymous with all family-based immigration. There, Technically, it refers to the kind of the types of family-based immigration that then allow people to bring in, you know, more 
family members to the U.S. So, like, when you bring your spouse to the U.S., like, they can't then bring their spouse. You know, that's yeah. like that's pretty limited. But they can then bring parents or siblings, that kind of thing. So that's that's what, you know, with policy specificity, people te- like could actually be termed chain migration. But the policy proposals that the White House has endorsed are slashing all family-based immigration, like the RAISE Act that Tom Cotton has has proposed. So it's that kind of elasticity can be a big problem, you know, when it means that the president is just throwing half of all legal immigration to the U.S. on the table. But it can also be a benefit, just like, you know, there's going to be a semantic disagreement about what counts as a wall if Republicans can say, oh, Mr. President, we ended chain migration because we put in one provision that only applies to the parents of, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people getting legalized under this bill. You can say you've ended chain migration now. That does create something of an opportunity. It just kind of requires the policy entrepreneurship to be able to figure out what is something that can satisfy that talking point that is also going to minimally disrupt the system. Right, right. I mean, and that that's that's of a piece with jokes, somewhat serious considerations that Republicans could literally pass anything healthcare related and call it Obamacare repeal and kind of move on. And that's kind of what happened with the repeal of the individual mandate and tax reform, that this important portion of the Affordable Care Act was ended. And then the next day, President Trump went on Twitter to say that we ended Obamacare. One thing I wanted to ask you uh, a bit about was temporary protected status mm-hmm. and the administration's recent moves on that. Yes. Um, the Times ran a big story uh, on this at the beginning of the week. And um, I'm, I, I guess I feel like I have a decent idea of what's happening here, but I would appreciate, I guess, a more detailed explainer of what the program is mm-hmm. and sort of what the rationale for ending it was. Sure. So the basis of temporary protected status is that if a bunch of immigrant of of people are in the US on temporary visas or as unauthorized immigrants from a particular country and that country gets hit with a huge natural disaster or a civil war or something else that would make it genuinely unsafe for those people to return the US shouldn't say oh well your visas expired too bad back you go but should instead allow them to stay in the US until the situation is stabilized so It allows the federal government to designate a particular country and say anyone from this country who's in the U.S. who doesn't have another form of of permanent legal status can register with us for, you know, two years. And then at the end of those two years, we're going to review the situation and see if it merits a continued extension for another 18 months or another two years or whatever. And we'll keep doing that until we've decided that it's recovered from whatever we whatever we designated it for to begin with. Um, The problem with that is that it takes a while for countries to recover, especially less developed countries. And when we're talking about things like, you know, the 2010 earthquake in Haiti, for example, that was such a massive disaster that it, you know, it was very hard to dispute that it was that it had taken, you know, five years or more to rebuild from that. And by the time you're talking about people living in the U.S. for five years or longer, you're talking about people who have now built lives here who... To send them back now, even if in theory it's safer than it used to be to go back to their home countries, that may not be what they want. They may right. have, you know, or they've if they wanted to go back, they already have. And if they want to be if they're in the US, it's because they really have put down roots here. So presidents before President Trump were very loath to not extend temporary protected status, even, you know, 17 years in in the case of El Salvador after the initial, you know, the initial natural disaster had hit, just because 
there weren't other ways for these people to get be able to stay in the U.S. They couldn't get green cards. They couldn't couldn't really apply for asylum because they had lived in in the U.S. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But they didn't want to send them back. So the Trump administration has taken this very literal letter of the law approach and said, we are pretty sure that El Salvador is not still suffering from the hurricane that hit it in March of 2001. And therefore, we're not going to extend, we're not going to allow you to stay here indefinitely. Uh, we're going to put the temporary back in temporary protected status. Right. So what that has meant is that with the with the El Salvador decision, which they made Monday, which affected some 260,000 people, uh, that brings the total number of people who are now looking at deadlines uh, over the next year and a half for them to leave the U.S. somewhere around four hundred thousand, which is wow. a, a ton of people. They did. They have not officially made a decision on Honduras yet. Uh, that is going to be coming this spring, but like it is expected that they will be doing the same thing of setting a a future deadline. Uh, they did that with Haiti last year. They've done it with Nicaragua. It's, they did extend South Sudan, but ended it for Sudan. So it's. They're pretty clearly, if not killing the program entirely, certainly minimizing it. And there are going to be future decisions. They're about to have to make a decision on Syria, for example, which is something where it is really hard to say that they've recovered. Right. Um, but it's proceeding from this very, you know, I think the more the most generous way to put it would be that it's a legalistic definition of what it takes for a country to have recovered. The less generous way to put it is that it's what you would do if your goal were to have as few immigrants in the country as possible. Right, right. Uh, what do you think is going to happen to those immigrants? I mean, if if you have roots in this country, if you have a kid, if you if you had a kid here and your kid's a citizen and your kid's in school, yep. if you have a business, you know, what do you think? Do you think people will actually try to return, or this all? Do you think all this will do is create a new population of undocumented people? I think it's much more likely that it's the latter. Um, I think that people, you know, there are probably some people who might have access to other forms of legal status who that they haven't already pursued, or who might ultimately be able to get some form of relief. But I think a lot of the people who are here are not going to leave that, you know, for exactly the reasons that you mentioned. I think we've seen that when people are when people have roots here, not having immigration status isn't isn't as big a problem for them as pulling up their entire lives would be. Right. Um, so I do, th you know, and and this obviously isn't something that the Trump administration is going to acknowledge as a legitimate choice to make, right? It's like, well, either you get legal status or you get out. Um, but I do think that this should be seen as of a piece with the decision to end DACA, with the even with the decision very early in this administration to rescind the Obama administration's memos on who should be prioritized for deportation. I think all of these should be seen as pieces in a broader strategy in which they're not spending a ton more resources on enforcement. They're certainly not, you know, hugely ratcheting up deportation efforts. Instead, they are increasing the number of people who are vulnerable to deportation and increasing the extent to which those people should feel afraid of right. deportation at any given time. Yeah. I think this, and this is this is something I, I talked about in the open to this episode. I think this is something that uh, is is in the air about the Trump administration, which is that for as much as Washington is consumed with all the spectacle of the Trump administration, it does seem that here in immigration, the White House has a very clear agenda and is pursuing it as effectively as an administration can pursue something. Yes, and and I do think that the. To a certain extent, the 
propensity of this administration to get smacked down by courts, uh, certainly in the travel ban cases last year. And then, you know, this week in the decision by a district court judge in California to force the administration to kind of reopen or partially resurrect the DACA program. I think that things like that have a tendency to obscure the effectiveness with which the administration has pursued its agenda because it seems like they're facing all these high-profile setbacks. Um, but for one thing, the the court bench laps are temporary. Right. Um, no one expects that this DACA decision is going to hold up for a terribly long time. It's kind of a question. Uh, it seems to me to be a very open question whether U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services even starts moving on reopening the program before the Supreme Court says, no, you can't do that. Um, but, you know, also because there are things that just never come up in court or that courts have no jurisdiction over. It's not no federal court can say that it's improper that the Trump administration is arresting a bunch more people who don't have criminal records, that they're during immigration raids arresting anyone who happens to be unauthorized at the location where they're going instead of just the person who they've already, you know, filled out the arrest form or, you know, warrant or equivalent for. So it's definitely not something that is, you know, like I said, they're they're kind of maximizing the noise that's made by their limited resources. Um, there are definitely cases in which they're overhyping things. There was a raid series in September that, you know, they were making a big deal about, we just went into sanctuary cities and arrested a bunch of people. And some local reporters, the local reporters in Portland, for example, where they said, oh, we arrested 33 people in the sanctuary city of Portland, Oregon, looked into the numbers and realized that it was 33 people in Oregon and Washington, and that they had arrested four people in Portland, which is what they do in a a typical week. So like, there's definitely a tendency to kind of use the bully pulpit, use the press to as as a a propaganda weapon, really, to to make people feel vulnerable um, that isn't necessarily being backed up by, you know, a massive expansion of resources. But in that regard, especially because it's not that hard to make someone who's in a legally precarious position feel that their lives are, you know, in jeopardy. <laughs> that's that's a pretty easy thing to do. And the Trump administration has done it very well. And one more thing before I let you go, Dara. Uh, my colleague Jim Newell is uh, over at the Hill, and he asked a question to Senator John Thune, a Republican uh, in the leadership, whether or not uh, the Graham Flake deal, the deal uh, being brokered by Senator Lindsey Graham and Senator Jeff Flake of Arizona, uh, whether that deal is or is not passing muster with the White House. And Thune says that it isn't passing muster, that the White House is not fully on board with it. And then Jim also reported that Senator Tom Cotton of Arkansas called it a, quote, pine needle of a proposal, which is not an idiom I'm familiar with, and a, quote, joke. Uh, and says uh, Cotton says that the president told Graham Flake to go back to the drawing board. So how how should we read this? Does, does Tom Cotton know anything? Is it just Tom Cotton talking? Tom Cotton has. When we say that it's you know not clear whether the White House is providing leadership, I feel like the fact that Tom Cotton, who is the biggest immigration hawk in Congress now that Jeff Sessions is out, has been included in these meetings and is considered a, a big you know big macher on immigration by the White House. If the White House thinks they're going to get a deal that's going to both pass the Senate and get Tom Cotton's vote, they are incredibly wrong. And if that's their standard for what a good deal looks like, then they're not interested in making a deal. Um, so I think we are about to see whether Tom Cotton is the per- is the arbiter of what constitutes a real immigration deal or whether the White House is going to actually 
you know, show the kind of backbone that would require Tom Cotton to, like, get off board. I have been speaking to Dara Lynn. She's senior reporter at Vox.com, and she covers immigration. Thank you, Dara. Uh, Thank you for joining us on Trumpcast. Thank you. And that's the show for today. If you aren't following Trumpcast on Twitter, you absolutely have to. We're on Twitter as at RealTrumpCast. That's at RealTrumpCast. We share links and stories and more ways for you to share the show with your friends and family. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon, and John D. Domenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jamal Bowie, and thank you for listening. <laughs>